Welcome back to the One God Report podcast. I'm Bill Schlegel, the host. For the next couple of episodes, we welcome Troy Salinger back to the podcast. Troy is a theological blogger. The name of his blog is Let the Truth Come Out. See the show notes for a link. And he's a house painter. In a series of previous One God Report podcast episodes, numbers 54 through 59, Troy discussed the supposed pre-incarnate appearances of the Son of God in the Old Testament, asking the question, are these truth or myth? In the next couple of episodes, Troy examines the claim that an Aramaic word, memra, spelled M-E-M-R-A, memra, which means a saying or a statement, a word, a declaration, a command, that this word memra is evidence that there was a second God figure appearing to people in the Old Testament, and that this second God is the pre-incarnate Jesus. The memra claim goes hand in hand with the claim that the Jews during the time of Jesus believed that there were two powers in heaven. You hear that phrase in modern Trinitarian apologetics these days, two powers in heaven and that these two powers were both somehow literally God. People like Dr. Michael Heiser have popularized this theory today. Heiser says Jews believed in two Yahwehs, one unseen and one seen. The seen Yahweh was supposedly the Memra in the Aramaic Targums. Troy has examined these claims and shows them to be completely false. Let's get to the discussion. Hey, Troy Salinger, great to have you back. It was great having you for the series of previous podcasts where we discussed the pre-incarnate appearances of the Son of God in the Old Testament, truth or myth. And you went through and showed us why these ideas are myth. We looked at the supposed pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus as the angel of the Lord to Abraham or to Gideon or to Joshua, all these claims that supposedly find a second God figure in the Old Testament that is God, that isn't exactly God. And I was hoping to get you back to talk about this so-called claim of the Memra. I'm sure that some people have never heard of this claim. The average Trinitarian in the pew would probably say, what are you talking about? What's Memra? But there are certain circles, and there's a significant scholarly influence where this claim that somehow in the Aramaic Targums, there's another hypostasis. So I love that one, a second hypostasis of God back in the Old Testament. He's distinct from God the Father, but he's still God. And this is the Memra of the Aramaic Targums. Troy? Can I ask you what's going on here? What or who is the Memra and why do certain Trinitarians, I know Dr. Michael Heiser has kind of popularized this, and somehow this just is evidence that Jesus was another divine figure with the Father, but not the Father back in the Old Testament. Is this right, Troy? Is this the claim? Can you explain this to us a little better? Thanks. First of all, thanks, Bill, for having me back on to discuss this. Uh, really look forward to it. So, yeah, so 
there's this claim out there. And so where does this idea come from? Or what is the impetus behind it? So what I believe is that, you know, among what is called Orthodox Christianity, there's been a, you know, more recent attempt to ground the Orthodox doctrines of the Trinity and the deity of Christ in a more Jewish context rather than uh, in a Greek uh, context, which had, you know, previously been assumed by most scholars, particularly, uh, you know, if we think about uh, the Logos of John's gospel and, uh, you know, the prologue of John's gospel, that most scholars had assumed that this was, you know, drawing on a Greek, uh, on Greek concepts. But there's been this attempt, you know, lately, or really it's been around for a number of decades to find a grounding for that in a Jewish context. To show that, it, that this, these doctrines of the Trinity and the deity of Christ are a kind of a natural outflow of Jewish ways of thinking about God rather than just Greek uh, metaphysics. So some scholars have found or believe they found support for this proposal in the Targums uh, with, the, with the use of the word membra in the Targums. Now, for those who may not be familiar with the Targums, they're basically are Aramaic paraphrases and expansions of the Hebrew scriptures. The Targums were first given or orally for quite a while before they were actually written down. Uh, from what I understand it, in the synagogues, and this would be even within, within the land of Israel itself, in the synagogues when the, the Hebrew scriptures were read to the congregation, immediately they would be, uh, I guess, by the synagogue leader, he would give the Aramaic translation and paraphrase of what was just read in, in from the Hebrew God. And so this is how the Targums developed. It was first oral, then uh, later they were written down, and then over time they became sort of authoritative in the synagogues. So now it's claimed that in the Targums, there's this use of this word memra or this idea of memra. And it is claimed that the translators of the Targums use the word memra to denote, uh, this is a difficult word to say, <laughs> hypostatization of God's word, okay? Which just means that they, it's claimed that the memra is in a sense, making God's word into an actual entity that is distinct from God. Yet, you know, not uh, totally distinct from God, but there's some distinction there, but there's a, a unity there. I've said it, this is what's claimed. Troy, let me interrupt you just a second. Sure. What does the word memra mean in Aramaic? Memra is an Aramaic word. How, what's a good translation or what are some ways to translate it into English? Okay, so from what I understand, the memra is the Aramaic equivalent for the Hebrew word Ma'amar, mm -hmm. uh, which simply means something that is spoken. It's often translated as either a word or a command or a decree. 
So it's basically that which is spoken. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. th there's nothing mystical about the word or, or anything like that. It's a word that occurs in, in Aramaic writings in the context of just that of, of speaking about something that is spoken, either by God or by men, by kings. You know, it gets used of a decree that a king might issue or something like that. It's used of the commands of God. So it's just an ordinary word. It's not, there's nothing mystical about it. Okay. But uh, the problem is that what you find today, you can often find Christian apologists claiming that the ancient Jews believed in more than one hypostasis in God, more, uh, more than one person in God. And one of the evidences that they point to as a supposed proof of this is the memory in the targums. This is supposed to show, you know, the idea that God being a Trinity would not have been a foreign concept to the ancient Jews and that it was not an invention of Greek influence upon the Gentile church fathers. So the memory is then taken and interpreted by Christians as a second hypostasis in God. And this second hypostasis uh, is then asserted to be none other than the son of God himself or God, the son, the second person of the Trinity. So you can see how this is a, has become an important idea among Christian apologists who want to uphold the doctrines of the Trinity and the deity, deity of Christ and want to show that these these ideas uh, originate within the Jewish concepts, ancient Jewish concepts. Now, I was a Trinitarian for 35 years, and I had never really heard of it, okay? I, I didn't really hear about this until after I had changed my view mm -hmm. uh, from Trinitarian to what I believe mm -hmm. now. It was only in, in my research as a biblical Unitarian that I came across this this idea. Then I began to start hearing it uh, come up in debates uh, between Trinitarians and Unitarians and began to hear it more, uh, see it more online in articles and things like that. And when I first uh, began to hear about it and research it, the first thing that came to my mind was that, you know, this is just ridiculous. But I had to research it myself. I mean, you know, I, I don't just dismiss things just because they sound ridiculous or they don't, you know, line up with what I believe. So, you know, I wanted to research it to see if there was really anything to it. And what I found is, is there's a lot of misinformation that's being put out there on the Internet about the member. And just to give you an example of that, there's a website called jmac.net. When I was a Trinitarian, I, I used to follow this guy's website. I, I thought it was very useful and helpful because he tries to look at everything through a Hebraic worldview, the Hebraic culture, the, the Hebrew uh, mindset. So, you know, he, he would uh, attempt to translate, uh, interpret not just the Old Testament, but the New Testament through a Hebraic way of looking at things. And which I was all for, you know, so uh, I found his website very, very helpful. But his website illustrates the kind of misinformation that's out there on the web. Let me just read a little something from 
and show you how, how it's wrong. In an article titled The Memory of God, he says this. He says, Jewish theology deals with the memory. It is an Aramaic term that means the word. In Hebrew, the word is davar. All right, just in those three sentences, he got everything wrong. Hmm. Everything he just said is absolutely wrong about the memory. Mm-hmm. First of all, he says Jewish theology deals with the memory. This is false. The only place the memory ever shows up is in the Aramaic targums, which is not theology. It's paraphrases of the Hebrew scriptures, uh, a translation with, you know, addition or expansion upon the Hebrew text. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where you would find Jewish theology would be more like in the Talmud or in other rabbinic writings, uh, the Midrash and things like that. That's where you would find Jewish theology. Those sources do not mention the memory at all. Okay. You're not going to find a discussion, a rabbinic discussion in the Talmud about the memory, it doesn't exist. This idea of the memory is only only found in uh, Aramaic targums. So he's he was wrong on that statement. Then he says it's an Aramaic term that means the word. Well, no, that's false. Uh, if he's trying to imply that it means something very specific, the word, and he's got a word ca- capitalized, as if it's meaning something very specific and giving personality to it. But this is just wrong. This word simply just means something that is spoken. Then he says in the he in Hebrew the word is devar. Well, this is a, a, again wrong. I, I've already pointed out that the Hebrew equivalent to memra is ma'amal. It's not devar. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on a little further and he says whenever the Tanakh used the word devar, the Aramaic version used memra. This is so false. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to express it strongly enough. Mm-hmm. What, what he just said there is the exact opposite of what you find in the Targums. The word member is never used in the Targums to translate the Hebrew word devar uh-huh. in the Hebrew scriptures. Now, just recently, I was corrected on this or Someone attempted to correct me. Uh, I was in a discussion on Facebook on this issue, and I kept pressing them well, to find any place in the Targums where the word devar in the Hebrew scripture is translated by the word member. Well, he, he, he finally did send me a source where there is, seems to be an exception, one, one exception to the rule here. And that is in a couple of manuscripts of uh, the Targum of Psalm 33, where in verse six, where it says, by the word of Yahweh, the heavens were created. That that in two manuscripts of, of the Targum for that psalm, it has the word memra there. Other manuscripts of that psalm do not have memra, but they have a, a different word. So there seems to be these two manuscripts that give an exception to this rule, which just proves the rule, right? So there are hundreds and hundreds of verses in the Hebrew Bible 
where the word devar is used. And not, not once are those verses translated in the Targums with the word memory. Mm -hmm. It's a different word, like pitgama in Aramaic, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes, yes. And we're, yeah. we're going we're to get to that. Okay. Uh, but then, you know, on his website, from that, all of that misinformation, he then extrapolates. And then he says this, as a result, out of the Aramaic translation, the Jewish theologians developed a whole scale theology regarding the memory. Oh. Now, I don't know where he's getting this. I mean, this yeah. is... This is just false. Now, I'm not accusing him of lying. I think he really believes this some kind of way. He's gotten a hold of misinformation, and he's just promulgating the same misinformation, but he's actually even expanding on it. Mm -hmm. This is often what happens, right? When misinformation gets out there, somebody takes it. They don't do the sufficient research to determine if it's true. They just accept it, and then they even expand on it more so that the next person who gets it from them is even getting more misinformation. And then it just snowballs. But this is just false. Uh, there was no whole scale theology regarding the memory. I've already you know, noted that in the Jewish Talmud and other rabbinic sources, there is no talk about the memory. This is just a false claim. So on my blog article on this subject, I quoted extensively from from an article by a man named George Foote Moore. The name of the article was Intermediaries in Jewish Theology, Memra, Shekinah, and Metatron. This appeared in the Harvard Theological Review in 1922. Now, just to let you know something about this man, not that I'm making it about the man, but to, just so everybody out there knows that this guy knew what he was talking about. This is what uh, Cyclopedia Britannica says about him. It says he was an American Old Testament scholar, theologian, and Orientalist whose knowledge and understanding of the rabbinic source literature was extraordinary among Christians. He graduated from Yale College and from Union Theological Seminary. He was Hitchcock professor of the Hebrew language and literature at Andover Theological Seminary. He became professor of theology and professor of history of religion at Harvard University. So, I mean, this guy, you know, he's got the credentials. Like I said, I quote extensively from this article, which I'm not going to get into too much on the podcast. If people are interested, you can link my article and you can go there. You can read the quotes I have, but I also give a link to the entire article that you, that you can go read. He gives some good insight into the use of the memory. Okay, let me just give this quote by him from the article. He says this, quote, to dispel misunderstandings at the outset, we may begin by showing when and how memory is not used. First, then, the memory of the Lord the phrase, the memory of the Lord in the Targums is not employed as the Aramaic equivalent of the word of Yahweh, the bar Yahweh in the Hebrew scriptures. Now, this, this is so important here. Mm -hmm. He is putting his finger on what really dispels this whole idea as being a myth. He says that the phrase, the memory of Yahweh in the Targums is not employed as the Aramaic equivalent of the bar Yahweh in the Hebrew scriptures. 
the reason this is significant is because this is often how the apologists present it when they're presenting their case. Mm-hmm. They will often point to passages in the Hebrew Bible. We can look at specifically Genesis chapter 15, where it says, the word of the Lord, Yahweh, came to Abraham in a vision. So what they say is that what is actually happening here is that the word of Yahweh is actually a personal being, an actual entity who came to Abraham, that Abraham sees this entity, this entity speaks to Abraham, and this entity is called the word of Yahweh, the bar Yahweh. And then what they'll say is that we know that, that the Jews believe this because of the Targums, of the member of the Targums. So they're, they're trying to equate the member of the Targums with the phrase, the Bar Yahweh in the Hebrew Bible. But as Professor Moore pointed out in his article, this is the very way the, that the member is not being used in the Targums. Uh-huh. So the people that are promoting this are promoting a false idea. Mm. It's, it's misinformation. As we uh, continue to quote from Dr. Moore, he says, quote, the Hebrew, the bar, in all senses and uses, is customarily rendered in the Targums by Pitgama. The word that's, of the... What's sorry, that? That's another word. That's a different word, a different Aramaic word. Exactly. It's a totally different Aramaic word. Mm-hmm. And that is the word that is, according to Dr. Moore who, as we noted from the Britannica Encyclopedia, that his knowledge and understanding of the rabbinic source literature was extraordinary among the Christians of of his time. So he says the phrase, the word of the Lord or the word of God, is pitgama, the Yahweh, in the Targums. It's never memra, the Yahweh, in the Targums. He says, quote, and similarly in, quote, my word, thy word, his word, when the pronouns refer to God. Mm -hmm. Then he says, the word of the Lord to a prophet is pitgama danuba, a word of prophecy. Then he gives an example, Hosea 1, 1, the word of prophecy from before Yahweh, which was with Hosea. Therefore, he says, Wherever the word of the Lord is the medium or instrumentality of revelation or of communication to men, in Greek, logos or rhema, the term employed for this medium in the Targums is not memra, but pitgama. This information should put a nail in the coffin of this whole concept that the memra of the Targums is connected to the phrase in the Hebrew Bible, the word of the Lord, in, the, in all of those phrases where it says the word of the Lord came to somebody, came to Abraham, came to Samuel, came to Jeremiah. Yep. This phrase occurs numerous times in the, in the Hebrew Bible. And what these uh, apologists are uh, doing is equating the memory of the Targums with that phrase in the Hebrew Bible. And there's mm. no connection there whatsoever. Yeah. If there was a connection, then you would see 
in the Aramaic translation of those Hebrew phrases, you would see the word memory. You would, it would say the memory of Yahweh came to Abraham. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't say that. It says yeah. the pitgama of Yahweh came to Abraham. So to me, this is very significant. And like I said, it, it should be the death knell of this whole concept. But of course, you know, these kind of things don't die easily, right? Yeah. Yeah. Once this kind of misinformation and these kind of misconceptions are out there in the public, they die very hard. Mm. So uh, I think the, the best way we can also illustrate, besides this, this devastating fact here, that memory is never used in the, in the Targums in this connection, I think it would do good to look at some specific passages to show that this concept is false. Now, let me say this first. One of the, the main sources of this misinformation, and I think the way it has become, it's becoming more popularized on a more lay level, it's trickling down from the scholarly field into catching on more among lay people. I think we can attribute that to the work of Dr. Michael Heiser. He has promoted this idea on his podcast and in his writings. And because Dr. Michael Heiser is more in touch with the lay people, he fits his teaching to appeal to the layman more than to scholars. And so because of that, this idea has trickled down and it is becoming more and more popularized. It's very likely that if you type in Google Memra, that you're going to come up with many website articles, YouTube videos, where people are declaring this misinformation. And what they're going to be doing is taking you to the Old Testament scriptures, and they're going to be taking you to these specific passages that say, you know, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so. And then there's also, you know, they're going to point out the fact that there are, there seem to be visual aspects in those passages that the person that the, that the word of the Lord came to is actually seeing something. There could even be some kind of physical touching, okay, going on between what seems to be the word of the Lord and the person. So I think it, it would do good to go look at these pa- some of these passages and to see how, you know, they're really being stretched, in my opinion, to, to fit this, this uh, paradigm that's being promoted out there. But before we look at specific passages, we already looked at how the memory is not used in the Targums, but it's important to understand how it is used, okay? So first of all, the word memory does appear in the Targums as a translation of various Hebrew words, meaning like command, decree, something spoken by someone. Sometimes it could be something spoken by God, but often it's something spoken by human beings. And these various Hebrew words are sometimes translated in the Targums by the word memory. But the important thing to note is that when the phrase in the Targums, the memory of Yahweh, appears, that the word memory there 
is never a translation of something that's in the Hebrew text. When that phrase is used in the Targums, there is no corresponding word in the Hebrew text that is that the word member is translating. The word member is simply being added in by the Targum writer. And this is believed by many, probably all Targumic scholars, that this is being done. It's being used as a circumlocution or a kind of a buffer word to put some distance between God, because this occurs in passages where God is personally and actively involved with human beings. That's where you typically find the phrase, the memory of Yahweh. For instance, a passage in the Hebrew Bible might say that Yahweh did such and such. In the Aramaic Targum, it'll say the memory of Yahweh did such and such. So it's a, it's a way to put some kind of distance uh, between God and, and his creation, between God and humans. And this is what really all Targumic scholars believe that the purpose of the memory being used in that way in the Targums. The idea that the memory in the Targums is an actual being, an actual entity. Let me give you some quotes from experts in the field. First, from Professor Moore, from his article, he says this, the sum of the whole matter is that nowhere in these targums is memra a being of any kind or in any sense, whether conceived personally as an angel employed in communication with men or as a philosophically impersonal created potency or God himself in certain modes of self-manifestation. The appearance of personality which in many places attaches to the memory is due solely to the fact that the phrase, the memory of Yahweh, or with pronouns referring to God, my, thy, his, memory, is a circumlocution for God, the Lord, or the like, introduced out of motives of reverence, precisely where God is personally active in the affairs of men. Okay, so what he's saying basically is that the reason you get the appearance of personality in the Targums is because it's being used as a circumlocution for God. It's being used in place of where the Hebrew Bible simply says the Lord or Yahweh. The Aramaic Targum replaces that with the memory of Yahweh. And this is why you get the appearance of personality, okay, in, in the memory, because it's simply referring to God, okay? <laughs> Yeah, so if the people uh, of Israel rebelled against Yudhe right, the Lord in the Old Testament, the Targum might say the people of Israel rebelled against the Memra of Yahweh. They're rebelling against his word, they're rebelling against him. It's not another person. Right. Again, we must understand that there's, there's nothing in the Hebrew text that corresponds to the word Memra in the mm -hmm. Targum, which right. is used it's an, in this way. So it's just something that's being added to the scripture by the Targumists themselves, mm -hmm. which is, you know, another thing that Christians should think about, right? I mean, most Christians believe in the inspiration of scripture, but they don't seem to have a, a problem with these who wrote the Targums with adding something to the scripture here. You know, mm -hmm. uh, they seem to be completely fine with that. But now, just in case, you know, I, I just quoted from Dr. Uh, Professor Moore, 
from his article, but his article is a hundred years old now. And so somebody might say that, well, more recent discoveries have thrown greater light on this subject. And what Professor Moore had to say is outdated. And but so let's let's look at what a more modern scholar uh, has to say about this. I want to quote from a work called Targum and Testament Revisited. This is by Dr. Martin McNamara. He is recognized by all as the leading scholar into garment studies. He has written numerous books on the Targums. He has translated the Targums into English. He is the leading scholar on this subject today. So in, in his book, uh, Targum and Testament, uh, starting on uh, page 161, he says this. This is under a title heading Targumic Memra and Johannine Logos. He says uh, there are three main objections against the use of Targumic evidence in a study of the question, the question of where did John get his Logos from in the prologue to his gospel. Many today are saying it was drawn from the use of the memory in the Targums. So this is what he's referring to. He says there are three major objections against the use of the Togumic evidence in a study of the question. One is that the expression memory of the Lord is restricted to the Targums. It does not occur in rabbinic or other literature. Then there is the difficulty of dating the Togumic evidence or assuming that the Targums represent a usage of New Testament times. Okay, so he's just saying there's debate on were these Targums even around at the time John wrote his gospel? Would he have even known about them? Okay. Then he says, quote, there is the further perceived difficulty that the expression memory of the Lord is not a hypostasis, but a manner of speaking about the Lord without using his name. Then he goes on to say that the memory of the Lord is merely a reverent circumlocution for the Lord, another way of expressing the same thing, and in no way a hypostasis, is now generally held by students of Judaism. As H.A. Wolfson says, no scholar nowadays will entertain the view that it is either a real being or an intermediary, end of quote. Yeah, well, Michael Heiser hasn't got the note yet. Yeah. So this is one of the top scholars in the, in the field. And if you read other places in his works, Dr. McNamara does, definitely does not believe that the memory in the Targums is meant to denote a personal being, a personal entity distinct from Yahweh, but somehow one with Yahweh. Now, he does think that John used the memory of the Targums as the background uh, for his Logos. But he thinks John took it further and, and developed it further, okay? Again, McNamara, the leading scholar in Targumic studies today, does not believe that the memory in the Targums is denoting a personal entity. That's a very important thing yeah. to understand. Well, we won't get into it, Troy, but I would say, look, at why would you think it's connected to John 1? Because the word logos is not the word that's equivalent to memra, right? So, I, well, let's right. leave that because I, I do believe that 
John 1, 1 is talking about the human Christ Jesus, not a pre-incarnate being at creation and this kind of stuff, but the human Christ Jesus. Let's leave that. Keep going. Okay. All right. So I think if we go and we look at some specific passages. We'll stop there. And in the next episode, Troy will examine some of the specific places in the Old Testament where the word of the Lord comes to people and that these Trinitarian deity of Christ apologists think that this is somehow an actual person coming to a patriarch or a prophet. I'll just say to close this podcast that the fact that modern scholarship has to turn to such esoteric, call it evidence, as the Aramaic Memra, to find a second Yahweh in passages like Genesis 15, and we'll see Troy will examine passages in 1 Samuel and Jeremiah. The fact that they have to use such evidence is actually evidence that the Bible says no such thing. It's obvious that these claims are not New Testament claims, not to mention the Hebrew prophets. But these claims come from people who apparently think the prophets and Jesus and the apostles forgot to tell us something. Trinitarian apologists, deity of Christ apologists, they can't just go to the biblical text and find places where Jesus, Paul, or Peter appealed to the Hebrew scriptures and discovered another God, another hypostasis. So these modern apologists have to take these non-biblical, high-minded, sounding, circuitous paths to arrive at what they want. Also, finding supposed evidence of a binitarian view of Yahweh, of two Yahwehs in the Jewish sources, demonstrates that a Trinitarian view of God is a later development. Sure, the New Testament describes two powers in heaven. One is Almighty God. Two is the man, Christ Jesus, who has been raised from the dead and exalted to God's right hand and given authority over God's creation. Imagine that, a man at God's right hand. Ishmael wanna be in the humble will hear and rejoice.